You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Another episode of the X-Men Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you so much for checking out the program. What's going on? <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's funny because it, it's, everything's going on. It, it's still, what's going on with Joe Rogan? <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, I, I, I even said last week, I go, you know, it's the kind of dumb story of the week, but clearly there's impact. There's, there's things that are, that are going on. So, I mean, if you're... I guess attuned to the internet at all, then I'm sure you're seeing the same things I'm seeing. And if you're not, then lucky for you. But I want to talk about something, and I've talked about this probably at some length on this show, but probably not in a while. So maybe it's it's important now to kind of refresh some of my thoughts on this matter. And you know, and the, and, and that matter being the N-word. <laughs> and Joe Rogan got into some heat this week where someone put together a compilation of every time he used that word in his podcast. Um, And, you know, I started watching the video and I was like, I don't really need to see this because it just doesn't, it really doesn't matter to me because my viewpoints on that word are that the only time I care about it is if someone is using it to describe or insult a black person uh and you know using that word i only care about the intent i do not think the word is magic <laughs> and that by and it's and it's weird because i've i've probably said it less over the years because it's it's our um environment has gotten a lot more kind of uh attuned to that Right. Where in me, I'm, I'm half black, but even sometimes it's, it's this thing where, you know, you don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. Like I've had a thing where I'll talk to my, my homies, like, man, niggas, this, I'll be kind of doing that. And so I get a look like, does he have the complexion for the protection? <laughs> which is, which is almost kind of funny. Right. Cause I know white people, you know, that are tanned or Italian that are darker than me. But because I have black lineage, I'm allowed to say it. it. It makes no sense to me, really, that we can't use a word to talk about the word. Um, 
And to me, that's actually, you know, and I've, I've talked a lot about this show about free speech and what it means to me and how I think people have kind of go, gone overboard and how we have to approach it. But I think that's almost like the definition of a lack of free speech is like, oh, no, don't say the, the forbidden word. Um, and I think and my main issue around it is I think there's a certain hypocrisy. Like it does literally if a white person or non-black person says nigger. And they're not using it to insult someone. And they're actually, especially when they're actually just talking about it, like, hey, we're having a conversation about this word or such and such said blank. Right. And they're not actually you bunch of. Right. Or you, hey, you motherfucking. There you go. <laughs> I, I just think that's that's absolutely ridiculous. And at the heart of it. To me is. Because it's so ubiquitous in our culture, in our society, in our media. And, and that is because of black people, right? Any hip hop song, it, any, you know, most, I don't even say most black comedians, but a lot. And a lot of the most famous ones. Um, there's a reason why it's the punchline. Like there's... <laughs> There's a Kevin Hart joke where he's the the literal punchline is nigger. And it goes, he's like, help me, help me, nigger. And it's the fucking funniest shit in the world. And you listen to some of these some of these songs. It's like, what's that? That one um uh Kendrick Lamar song. It's like, oh my life, I has to fight. <laughs> and that's and I'm sorry. It is funny. And by the way, I hate to break it to y'all. It is fun to say. That's why black people say it all the time. Okay. <laughs> and to me, it, it can't be all those things, right? It can't be the punchline to every comedian's joke. It can't be the, uh, the lyric in every song. And then all of a sudden be the, oh my God. It's like, imagine you like you heard... You heard the word around the corner, but you're like, I don't know if I'm mad yet because I have to see what race the person was who said it. Think about how stupid that is. Think about how stupid that is. You know, um, and I also, like I said, I'm sure I've I've, I've probably done this monologue before. Um, so, so no, I'm not gonna try and get on Joe Rogan's case. It's like, and even... You know, I just, I just think there's this idea of we don't really know what racism is. Or a lot of people don't. And it's all about how you feel, right? You could actually say something that's racist and not be racist. Because you know why? We can literally say anything, right? I could say, I'm a wizard, right? I know magic. I just said that. It's not true. <laughs> you can say anything. It's an indication of how you, you may feel on the inside. But it's not telling everything right we're not we, we you know a lot of people aren't even honest with themselves and so we have this real weird setup of like just setting up landmines for people to step on and it's like the easy listen you only have to be barely above average intelligence to know oh the only thing i have to do for people not to think i'm racist is don't say the magic word that's a pretty easy 
bar for people to get over that actually might be racist who don't want to signal to their environment that they are racist. Oh, don't say these few words. But internally, I might have feelings or I might use those feelings to actually enact certain racism in the world. So I think that's really dumb. And the, and the truth is, it's for black people. Black people are the only ones that can actually create this change. And by the way, a lot of people disagree with me on this. My girlfriend, who's white, disagrees with me. Oh, you never say it. You know, and I almost feel that way, you know, about, you know, the word faggot, which I don't, I don't like that word. I don't even, even say it right now. Like, I don't the F word, you know, if I mean fuck or whatever, but I don't like that word at all. Um, but I don't, I don't generally understand the idea that if you're the thing, you can say it. Oh, we insult each other with that. So if we're gay, we can say that word. Or if I'm Jewish, I can use this slur. If I'm Italian, I can use this slur. Which I get, but I, you know, I think, yes, if you're not that thing, you shouldn't call someone else that. Who is that? Right? Don't call a black person N-word. Don't call a gay person F-word. Um, but I don't think you should just never say it because the word is magic. And it's like, it's funny because it's like only because what we speak English. So it's like the N-word in Italian or you know, Ukrainian or something like, is it, if you heard that someone said it 50 times, you wouldn't even know what they were saying. <laughs> it just, it just really doesn't make sense to me. So we, we, we need to collectively evolve on this and stop putting, when you, when you put restrictions around something, it makes people actually want to say it more. And like I said, I've already established, it's fun to say. <laughs> So trust me, when black people are around, white people are saying that, they singing, they leaning into that that Kendrick Lamar song. <laughs> they're, they're doing the niggas versus black people, Chris Rock bit, Madonna's around and enjoying it because the black people were enjoying it when they were saying it because it's fun. I'm just, just my opinion on it. So I know a lot of people disagree with me on that, but I think it, I think it holds well. And I'll say this, if, if black people, if you want white people to stop saying it, then black people got to stop saying it. You know, it should just be, I think if it's that bad, then we should stop saying it. Do you know what I'm saying? That's just that's just my 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 viewpoint. Let's be consistent on the on the damn thing. Anyway, hope that I mean that was fun, right? It was a little you know you might you know heard some dirty words, but but it's it's it's, it's fun to me. I, you know, I've, my my favorite movie is Pulp Fiction, so it's hard. It's gonna be hard for me to let that go. <laughs> Even though I don't, you know I've seen people wanting to uh, cancel Pulp Fiction for. For a while now, especially for the uh, that one scene with Tarantino, which is I love that scene. So that's just that's just me. Agree to disagree, I guess. Uh, we do have a sponsor, man. God Size Records coming back. This is number three. It's like this, this is three weeks in a row, something like that. Killing the game. Uh, there's a band from Los Angeles, LA. They're called Reign of Z, and we're gonna play a new track entitled Ignite.
So you just heard Reign of Z. And uh, I thought that track was actually really cool. Um, I don't know, like I was picking up almost like some Chimera stuff going there with some of the riffing. And I actually really liked the way it went into the chorus, that little build. Um, I thought it was well produced. And actually, as you could hear, it was a, uh, a female fronted band, but uh, they're kicking ass. I, I really enjoyed that track and I was trying to find out some information. I have a ton of info on, on the band, but they put out a an EP in 2019 called Mirrors and memoirs and they've just been busting their ass around the, the la scene and they, they did some touring last year with uh combi christ and king 810 and they're actually hitting the road with mantra of morta who's also a god god size records band who has been on this show and i think i'm gonna have them back on the band or back on the um uh, the podcast very soon as well and so this song it's a single that's out now and there's a really cool video that um, you guys should check out. I would go over, to, they have a website, reignofz.com, and it's rain, like R-E-I-G-N, and it's just Z, just, just the letter Z, not Z-E-E or anything. Uh, and you can go over to their uh, Facebook page, facebook.com backslash reignofz, and of course, go over to the God Size Records page, check out all their bands on there. It's godsizerecs.com. And thank you then for sponsoring the show. Check check them out on their tour. They're going to be going all over the place. All right, and check out those tour dates and go see them live and tell them Doc Coyle sent you. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you know what to do. Send me an email to thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that's EX. Or just get, in, get my DMs. But the email is always easier because I just I see that right away. I know what you're talking about. I don't have to find it. Very simple. Alrighty. We have a guest. A great guest. man named Aru Luster. Just like he's the prototypical X-Men. And I've been buddies with him for a long time. He's played with Machine Head. He's played with Il Nino. Now he's in a new band called Lions at the Gate. And he's just, he's just always been one of the good dudes in this scene. I've had the pleasure to tour with him a few times. And he's just a badass. And someone I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time. So it really worked out with uh, Lions at the Gate's putting out some new uh, new music and stuff and, you know, just wanted to go through the journey. And this is uh, this was just a lot of fun. So I'm not going to bullshit too much. Please check out my conversation with the incredible Aru Lester. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Very busy. Very busy. You look very well. All right. You got a your beard is looking sharp. Okay. Thank you, man. Your I, I angled it. I know it's angled. It looks thick, <laughs> manly. I don't know. I don't know what you're what you're putting in there. What kind of you know herbs and and vitamins and juices or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there's some juices in there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's like Akeem from Coming to America. You know. Just, yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, it's it's uh, it's great to have you on. You're definitely someone I've uh, wanted to have on the show for a while. I feel like you fit the profile of an X-Man very well. Right on. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, you've had you've I've, had. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I've I've I, I mean I remember when you started the podcast and uh, and you know you've done a lot of episodes. And you've taken it a long way, and I'm I'm proud of you for you know how much you've done with it. But uh, yeah, I always thought that that the whole theme of it, I, I was an X Man myself. Yeah, you're like, when this motherfucker gonna call me? 
<laughs> well, no, well, as I say, better late than never. But no, nah, man, you you have you've been doing this what? How many years? You you've been uh, a professional musician or you know uh, working? Twenty two years now. Twenty two years. There you yeah. go. There you Since, go. Since uh, ninety eight. No, twenty four years. Ninety eight. There you go. So, are you are you originally from the Bay? Or are you from Denver? Uh, I'm actually. I was born in Chicago. Okay. And then um, my my parents had this unique arrangement that they they thought it was a good thing, but um, I'm not sure if other people would think so. But uh, they decided that each one of them would keep me for a year, and so my dad ended up moving to Hawaii, and then my mom moved to Las Vegas. So most of my most of my childhood, I grew up between Las Vegas and Hawaii. Wow. So you're, what, what's your background? Cause I never really, you have a very interesting name. You're kind of racially ambiguous. You could be a lot of things, but I, I never asked you before, you know, I don't know if this information's out there. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I did, a I did one of those genetic tests, the, um, ancestry yeah. and I wasn't even, I wasn't even, I was mostly what I thought, but then there were some things that I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. But, uh, According to Ancestry, I'm 20% African, uh, 20 or no, 29%, uh, like 31% Filipino, um, about 30% Finnish from Finland, and then the, the rest is like just mixed European. Wow. So, so, and this is, <laughs> I was, I was kind of like, I don't even know if I had talked about this to anyone, but it's like this internal joke about El Nino kind of pulling a fast one on us they're like oh yeah he's uh he's from honduras <laughs> oh yeah yeah totally like uh i'm i'm not a latino all the way i portray one on stage <laughs> hey. and um the funny thing is like when we like whenever we would play in like uh spanish-speaking countries uh people would try to speak to me in spanish and i wouldn't know any spanish and they'd be insulted like that i'm i'm a latino but i don't know the language <laughs> yeah Listen, I, I, I get that. I, I look vaguely Latino as, as well to, to many people. Yeah. So it happens. It happens. But no, it's, just, it's, it's good to know now, now that I understand what is, uh, what, what is going on with your, with your background. I thought you were going to say you looked at the Ancestry.com. It was like 20% Martian, you know, 15% <laughs> Jupiter. Like you were some, some otherworldly being, you know, which, which would be cool as well. Well, the thing was is I, I thought I was Native American. But I thought I was like a quarter Native American, and then when my ancestry came out, it I think there, it said like less than one percent. Okay. So I was like, oh damn, this whole life I've been telling people that, and like uh, I'm not. <laughs> it's like it's like Maury Povich is like, you are not the father, you are not Native American. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, <laughs> no, Maury. <laughs> oh, I know. I was like, like the, my. Yeah, my whole life I was like, yeah, I'm part Cherokee, and I'd like, I'd even like identify with it a little bit, and then I realized, oh shit, I'm not even Cherokee. <laughs> hey, don't, don't pull Elizabeth Warren, all right? Don't, don't, yeah. don't, 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 <laughs> don't, don't do that. But um, so I found something while researching this, a band called the Horde of Torment. Oh shit! <laughs> all right, this is an old thrash metal band you were in, and this is. Yeah. It's some real thrash. It's not, it sounds like some old Slayer from like recorded in like an alleyway or something. <laughs> Next yeah, to a... it was, that was my uh, that was my first or it was my second or third band. But 
it was a band that we started in, in Vegas and we were called at the time we were called pestilence. But then, um, during that time, like just from the fanzines and everything, we realized that there was other, there was like four other pestilences in the world. And we listened to every one of their demos and we're like, Oh man, we're the best pestilence. So we don't have to worry about changing our name. And then the, the Dutch pestilence ends up getting signed and, you know, to Roadrunner. And so we're like, fuck, we got to change our name. So we changed it to the Horde of Torment. Um, we cra- uh, we were friends with Craig LaCicero at the time mm-hmm. because he lives, he, yeah, he lives in the Bay Area, but uh, he was originally from Vegas as well. So on one of his trips to Vegas, we, we started hanging out and he's like, man, you guys really need to move to the Bay Area. So um, we planned it out. It took about a year and we packed up and we moved to the Bay Area. And Craig was the one that kind of originally introduced us to everybody and um, showed us the clubs and helped us get get our first couple shows and all of that. And we're talking like early 90s? Yeah, uh, actually, late, uh, probably about 89 to begin with and then into the into the 90s. So were you just just a straight up just thrash metal metal head to the core? Was that your vibe at the time? Yeah, at the time, yeah. I, well, I started out. Um, my my first influence was ACDC, like when I was 14 years old, and then I kind of it just it was just like a downward traje- trajectory. So it was like ACDC to uh, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, and then you know Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil came out, and I thought that was pretty awesome. But then Metallica came out, and then then it was just downhill from there. So, and what was you know because to some degree. I guess you're looking at kind of the arc of thrash metal or what was going on in the scene and how much things were changing in in the early 90s, even from the late 80s into the early 90s. Did mm-hmm. it? Did you feel by the time you got to the Bay Area that you kind of missed that boat or that things were changing too quickly to kind of capitalize on what you were doing? Or did the, the scene still feel pretty vibrant? It's, we got there right at the peak of the scene. So gotcha. it was it was at its height. Um, the music we were playing was more of a cross between uh, Slayer, Rain and Blood, and Dark, or Dark Angel, Darkness Descends. And when we moved up there, it was different than kind of what was going on because everybody at the time was, you know, more more uh, Testament, Exodus type of just that Bay Area sound. Um, but it was right at the peak. There were some we were we were at some like amazing shows like um, that. I, even to this day, I can't even I can't even explain or match, you know, explain the energy of the show or or it hasn't been matched by, you know, anything that I've seen lately. So how basically like I knew you were in that band. I checked out. I was like, this is, this is pretty amazing. But then there's yeah. a pretty, pretty big gap for, as far as I could find between that and you joining Machine Head. So what was going to that band just kind of not really make it or did you do some other stuff what happened in that that mid 90s era so it turned like yeah like what happened was uh, what had happened was uh the the bay area scene was was pretty vibrant when we were there but but it was like right at the peak and right as it started to decline so right then the the uh florida death metal scene came up and uh bands were coming through like Sepultura and Napalm Death and Pantera. So it kind of, it's kind of started, you know, 
spreading like people people that were into the the bay area thrash metal were also like digging you know these other things and a lot of them were heavier like napalm death was definitely heavier than like anything that that they were doing in the bay area at the time and then during that same time bands like soundgarden and alice in chains and all that was coming out and then the whole funk thing. So there was like this big funk movement in the Bay Area with bands like Primus and Fungo Mungo. So it seemed like what happened was all the girls started going to the, the you know, the shows that they could dance at, basically. And all the guys started getting heavier and heavier. And then into the point where it's just pretty much, you know, a bunch of guys looking at each other and they're like, hey, where'd all the girls go? <laughs> they're at the and extreme show. <laughs> yeah. And then, then it was just like extreme metal. And it was just like that that whole like integrated um, scene. And it, was, it, it, it just kind of died at that point. And then at the tail end of that, that's when Machine Head came out. What was uh, going on with your like guitar playing at, at that point? Were you being influenced by some of those like you said the nate palm deaths and some of the you know kind of tampa death metal stuff was that kind of influencing your, your your playing as well were you kind of getting to that or are you kind of sticking more to your roots uh i was like i was uh, during, when i was doing the thrash metal i was really like uh practicing leads and like you know shredding and you know all of that and then i kind of started getting more into songwriting yeah and and like just hearing the song as a whole and realizing that it's more, there's more than just, you know, how fast you can play and, and how technical you can be. So I started like, I first started like um, listening to band, you know, the, the bands that were coming through like uh, Alice in Chains and, and Soundgarden. And I, I was like, I was really amazed by their, their songwriting ability. And then I kind of, started backtracking and started getting into like Led Zeppelin and um, the Eagles and, and um, also realizing the importance of lyrics. Yeah. And so I started actually really studying lyrics and, and I was kind of in a place where I was kind of in limb. I don't want to say limbo. I was like in this learning mode where I was just exploring all kinds of other styles of music besides metal. And at that point, I was living with Craig LeCicero. We were roommates at the time. And he had just, like, Forbidden had just ended. So he was starting a new band called Man Made God. Mm -hmm. And he asked me to join that band. And so uh, I was doing that for a while. And that was kind of like, um, like, maybe sort of do, like, we tuned to A, and the riffs were, like, real doomy. But then there was, like, uh I don't know. It was kind of like a heavier Alice in Chains style type of thing going on. And and I was doing that for about a year. And that's when Rob Flynn approached me about uh, Machine Head. Yeah, that must have been a, a bug out because it was that was clearly a job probably a lot of people wanted. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and was there a like an audition process? Were you part of a few people they reach out to or they were just like, we want you? Um, well, I, I had known Rob back from the thrash days and he used to hang out at our house. Sometimes, uh, we had, a our, our drummer at the time and Rob were pretty close. So they were like kind of drinking buddies. So Rob would just hang out. He'd be at our house hanging out sometimes. Um, 
he, you know, I'm sure everybody knows he was in a band called Violence with uh, Phil Demel. And um, we played many shows, like as the Horde of Torment, we played many shows with Violence and Forbidden, Testament, Death Angel, and all of that. And he, yeah, there was, I know that there was a lot of people that tried out, including some people that I was like, you know, there's no way that you know, I should have that <laughs> job over that, that person. Uh, like Gary Holt, you know, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, he just, he had a friend of his just kind of contact me or just like, yeah, reach out to me and told me that he wants me to try out for Machine Head. And at, at the time I was, I was doing Man Made God. And so it was, it was weird because it was something that I had to really think about for about three days. And um, the thing was, I was kind of in in the stage of my music where I was listening to all styles of music and not really focusing on just metal. So I wasn't sure that I wanted to go back to, you know, something that that heavy at the time. But then after talking to Rob and kind of just getting his vibe, I decided that you know, at least I should just give it a try. So I went down there and I had to learn, um, I, I had to learn several songs, but I think it was um, 10 Ton Hammer that we started playing. And as soon as like, as soon as I heard, I felt everybody play together, it was just like, I was, I was sold. I mean, <laughs> Dave McLean's energy and just like all, all of the energy in it, it was just so overwhelming and it was so like real that I was just like, oh man, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at that time, Machine Head just was on fire, right? Like, yeah, the, yeah. Like, they were they were probably one of the more exciting bands, and and also just felt new, right? Like that that style felt like a new avenue for for heavy music, and yeah, that must have been just 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 a a bug out. What what do you think about what you did? was the reason why they decided to choose you? Um, probably because like I, I've known Rob and, and Rob knew that in the Horde of Torment, I was like the, the main songwriter and um, kind of like the driving force behind that band. So I think he thought that I'd be able to contribute musically as well as like uh, he knew that I didn't have a drug problem or, you know, any of those other things that you don't want in a member. And um I just thought, I don't know. I, I just think it was the history that, that we've known each other, you know? And I was just somebody from the scene that, that he knew and he, and I, I guess he trusted and felt like I'd be a good fit. Did you guys tour before you worked on the, the Burning Red or is it just like you joined the band and went into making a record? Uh, they had about five songs written and it, yeah, we just were, I just came into the writing process. Gotcha. Like right in the middle. How do you how do you feel about that record? Because it's it's strange because it's I think record sales wise, it still might be the biggest machine head record, or it's definitely up there. Um, but there was obviously when it came out, there was a lot of pushback, right? Between yeah. some of the old fans and a difference in style in terms of being a little more new metal, a little more rap metal. Uh, working with Ross Robinson, you get a different production style. So the, the record had a, had a different sound. Um, 
what's your kind of or maybe it's it's evolved you know in terms of how you feel about felt about the record when it came out or maybe how you feel about it now in in hindsight um yeah well it was i mean i was i went from playing in local bands to just going into something like that working with ross robinson and and a band that's going to be touring and it was just like so overwhelming i would say, i would say so overwhelming but at the same time such an amazing experience um Imagine. i have so many great memories from from the writing from the uh from the recording and and even the mixing because we were all down there to mix and i don't know i just like what i learned from ross robinson was just how important the emotion of what you're playing needs to be in in the music because like you can anybody can technically you know put something down but if there's no feeling behind it it's not real yeah. and and more than any producer that i've ever worked with and, and i've worked with you know several producers that you know that are pretty big and stuff he he was the one that just stressed that the most especially during the vocal like you know when when he's recording vocals and just getting that that raw energy and raw emotion and i i thought it was you know like at the time i felt like it was a very spiritual experience yeah and and uh, and to this day it's still my favorite album that i've ever worked on wow so so the impact really has kind of kind of lasted all these all these years um yeah so i i actually it was funny because I pretty much didn't go to big shows. I was like in the hardcore scene. So the first show I went to was like Pantera, White Zombie, 96. And then yeah. I swear to God, I didn't go to another big, big show until Cold Chamber Machine Head, Slipknot, Amen. Oh, what, shit. What was that, 99 or 2000? It, it was 99. Uh, so you saw it at the Roseland, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's where, yeah, I met, I met Tommy that night too. That's funny. And, uh, uh, I didn't know you were at the show. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually got in because uh, this girl I was friends with was seeing uh, Paul from Slipknot, yeah. and so that's 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 how we ended up getting the show. And I remember when we got there, we went into the the VIP section, and it was like Corey Taylor was standing there, and I was pretty wet wet behind the ears as far as like going yeah. to, going to big shows. But I remember, you know, it just it, it went off for Machine Head. It was it was sick. It was. It was really, really cool, and I can imagine for you, you, you know, you're, you're pretty much is your first kind of run with the band, and and yeah. things unfolding, and it was pretty fucking big. It was a pretty big deal. Yeah, that was my first tour, and and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's crazy. It, it was uh, that I I still remember that show to this day, and um, I remember like right after we were getting off stage, Rob was still talking to the crowd, and Cold Chamber lowered their Kabuki. Mm -hmm. and and the crowd didn't like it too much so they grabbed it and they started ripping it down and they and they ripped it to shreds jesus <laughs> I, don't, I, I feel like i should remember that but i don't this is the story of whitney houston this is the story of kurt cobain of george michael of otis redding of amy winehouse of michael hutchins bob marley this is the story of prince it's a new podcast series about how they died why they died 
and while we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalist. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Um, so what was that whole process like from between that record and Supercharger, I mean, you guys, I mean, you probably toured quite a bit on that album, right? Yeah, we toured for about a year and a half on that record. Yeah. And then we started writing Supercharger. And by the time we got to Supercharger, it feels like everybody was kind of pulling in different directions. Yeah. And um, some, some people wanted to go back more to the metal roots and some people wanted to go even further into like the what what was going on with the burning red mm. and it just felt disjointed um and it i don't know to me it's still when i hear that record that's what it sounds like to me and, and it's and it's not one of my favorite albums <laughs> that i've ever done yeah i mean i think there's there's definitely good songs on it but it's yeah. um kind of i think the public perception is is that you know that it it feels like this record and is that the one that came out around 9-11 that kind of got yeah. screwed up by the whole release and everything yeah crashing around you we had uh this the first single was going to be called crashing around you and and we had this awesome idea of having like buildings in flames and you know all this stuff and 9-11 happened and it didn't seem like that much of a good idea anymore. <laughs> probably, yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but there was also, again, almost like when, when you move into the Bay Area in the early 90s or, or late 80s, things were changing. This was like another kind of change where it seemed like yeah. the, the new metal sound was kind of going out of style and uh-huh. 
you know, my scene was was kind of coming up, you know, with the God, yeah. you know, God forbids, the, the metal switches. core. Yeah. And, and that stuff seemed, seemed to kind of be c- coming up. And, you know, uh, Rob, you know, Rob Flynn's been super vocal with his like blogs and stuff and mm-hmm. talking about that era and, and how it was a, a tough time for the band. Uh, how did that kind of uh, figure you into not being in the in the band anymore? Uh, well, we just it like it just like the album seemed disjointed, like and personality wise, I think we were kind of drifting away from each other. And, um, you know, I know that I wanted to do a side project. That's that's kind of what it came down to is like I was interested in in doing a side project. And and at the time the rule of the band was like, you can't, if you're in machine head, you can't do any kind of side project. Yeah. And, um, I didn't feel completely musical fulfilled in that band, but at the same, well, I did on, on, uh, the burning red, but on, after supercharger, I, I didn't, you know, it was like, I didn't really love the album and, and I felt like I needed to somehow get my musical musical fulfillment some other way sure um but also when i look back at that it's kind of like a naive way of thinking you know because if you have like a good gig like that you know i'm sure you can figure something out to uh to to satisfy satisfy those those needs and it was it was that um i thought like I was kind of under the illusion that there's, there's going to be a perfect situation, like maybe a a band where everybody always agrees and, and everybody has the same vision, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, there's, there's a name for that. It's called a solo album. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, I did, you know, years later now it's like, you realize that it's, it's net, that's never the case. And it's like, it's more about communication and trying to figure out how everybody can get their needs met. If, if it's that kind of situation. But at the time I just, I didn't, I didn't really have any experience in that. And I guess maybe it was because, yeah, like you said, solo project, all the bands that I had been in before were I wrote all the music and, and did everything else. So it always seemed like, Hey, we all get along. (laughs) But and, uh, even though they were it, probably it, mad at you, it's like, man, I'm a dude, sucking yeah. up all the air out the room. <laughs> <laughs> so it was that, and then just young egos, and you know, one yeah. thing led to another. Um, I think it came down to like, because Rob and I were going back and forth on the phone about the side project thing and like how I wanted to do it, and he didn't want me to do it. And then finally, he's like, hey, meet me down at the studio. So I went down there and uh, he had me sit in a chair and then he kind of just started like yelling at me. And at that point I was just like, all right, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so at the time I had a girlfriend that was living in uh, Southern California. So I, so I, the, I just drove, I started driving down there to, to just hang out with her. And right when I got to the grapevine, I saw, I looked at my phone. It was, you know, a flip phone back then, like probably a Motorola StarTac or whatever. And uh, I saw that it was Rob, so I, I picked it up, and and the the reception was really bad, so it was just like cutting out. But then when when there was, you know, when it when the signal was strong, it was just like, Rah! you know, then just silence, then Rah! 
back, <laughs> you know? So I just closed the phone and that was it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's uh, you know, breakups are tough in all, yeah. in, all in, 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 in all their, their forms, but it seemed like at least at the time you were comfortable with that separation and ready to move on to the, whatever the next thing was. Yeah, I, I was. And, um, it, but at the same time, it's like, you know, when you do something like that, you're always wondering if you, you made the right choice and, you, uh, yeah. and there's part of you that regrets it. And, um, and there's part of me, part of you that wonders what, you know, what would have happened if you stayed. And so it, it was like a, it was like a mixture of emotions. Um, so Rob and I are, you know, we get along now and it took us a while, um, probably about 10 years before we started actually being able to talk and, wow. you know, chat again. But, uh, yeah, it was like, if I, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm, I, I don't like to say that I regret anything in my life, but if I knew then what I know now, um, I probably would have made different choices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, do you, do you really have that action? Is it actually regret or is this, or is it the kind of thing not to inject myself into this too much where you kind of go, well, if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't be the person I am. So it's kind of like, sometimes you almost have to make a quote unquote bad decision or to kind of become a fully formed person or do you act, or is it just straight up? I wish I didn't do that. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I never, I, I, I hate, like, I don't think that is a healthy thing to ever think. Like, yeah, if you regret something, you can't do anything about it. So there's no sense in regretting anything. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's like the person that I am now and the journey that I'm on now, it's like, I'm, I'm happy with a lot of things and, um, I feel like I'm moving forward and moving in the right direction. So that's just a possible path I could have taken that would have probably had a, another positive outcome somehow. Um, I don't, I know, I never think that it's like one path or the other one's the right path and one's the wrong path. It's just a different path. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you did Rob's podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, about three months ago. I, well, I got to go listen to it to make sure I didn't, uh, and ask them the same questions. <laughs> Even though I probably asked some, it's all right. It happens. Yeah, it's all right. It's, it's I, okay. I try to put a little bit of a different spin on it. <laughs> good, 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 good. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about the El Nino thing because it pretty much happened almost right away. You were you were not jobless for very long. Yeah. So um, the the way that I met El Nino was on Road Rage. It was the first Road Rage tour. It was uh, Fear Factory, Machine Head. Il Nino and Camaro was the opening band. Yeah, great tour. Yeah, that was awesome. And I kind of like right right off the bat, I I clicked with the El Nino guys. Like I, I love their music, and I love their personalities, and I loved hanging out with them. So that whole tour, I would just I, you know I, I I hung out with them all the time. And um, then it was after that tour, Machine Head was doing the big uh, winter tour they usually do like a big winter tour every year. And at the time, one of the things was that they, they wanted to bring, introduce a new band that would, you know, try to break a new band. So they, they did that with cold chamber before that. And after that cold chamber, like kind of took off. Um, so we were having a meeting like, all right, which, which band do you think we should take over to be main support for that tour? 
And I was like, how about that El Nino band? And they kind of all looked at each other. They're like, yeah, that's a good idea. And so um, yeah, it all worked out. And so that was, that was El Nino's first European tour. And that was the tour that broke them in Europe. And after that tour, they were able to go back and headline. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what's funny is El Nino actually wanted my brother to yeah. join. Yeah, he like they they brought him to the studio and like you know was like talk to him. And it's the same thing. It's like he was Latino, but he looks Latino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, obviously that didn't end up end up happening. Um, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if they wanted him more than they wanted you, but he was he was <laughs> definitely in the in the conversation, which is pretty. Oh, funny. right on. Um, cool. but. Yeah, but I, from what I, I gather the the record, the confession record was pretty much like done, right? Or was they were recording it? While yeah, it was. Uh, when I got in the band, it was being mixed, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it was you were kind of coming to something that was already fully formed. Yeah. And uh, was that kind of just a? I'm actually let me let me even kind of kind of even back that up a little bit, just from a guitar style standpoint, right? You had these like flamenco sections and you know you're replacing mark who's like an just an incredible guitar player was that uh was there like an adjustment period there kind of um just embracing the style even though there was a lot of correlations kind of rhythmically and and with some of the the vibes it was still a different situation right yeah so coming into machine head it was it was very similar to what I what I had already been playing, like thrash metal, and I was I was used to that, and it wasn't that much of an adjustment. As far as El Nino, um, the the besides the flamenco stuff, the music was much easier than than Machine Head. Yeah, um, like there's a lot of single note riffs and and things like that, but the flamenco stuff was something that I definitely had to like spend a lot of time with to to get it to the point where I felt it was, you know um good enough to to start touring with them so i was in the band about maybe a month and a half before the first tour and i would probably spend you know five to sometimes eight hours a day just like working on working on that on that style and trying to um <clears throat> the one the one um i think it was uh maybe the chorus of god save us Mm-hmm. There's like this thing that was going on and that, that one was giving me a, you know, throwing me for a loop for a while, but I, I just stuck with it and just practiced my ass off. And, um, and then gradually, like, you know, I wasn't perfect on the first tour, but I feel like I got it down, but not only that, I kind of absorbed myself in Latin music as well. Yeah. You know, just to like, I listen, I had listened to um, some flamenco and, and, you know, Spanish classical type guitar in the past, but, I fully submersed myself in it and like got really familiar with a lot of the artists and, and styles and um, just emerged myself in the culture and the, and the music just to, you know, I wanted it to be real. And I wanted it to, wanted it to be authentic. Yeah. And uh, even in some of the later records, it seemed like you were getting like influenced with your leads by like Santana and stuff like that. Really melodic stuff, but yeah. Your own your own kind of style with, with it. I I I, I love mm-hmm. that stuff, and I still love that about that band. Is it even though you had Sepultura and and, and Soulfly and and bands kind of uh, bringing out 
elements of their kind of traditional heritage and combining that with with metal to me what El Nino did was pretty unique in its complete presentation and it definitely made the yeah. band stand out and and I, and I imagine made them connect uh with those audiences in a way that was probably different than almost any other metal band totally and that's that, that was one of the things that uh really drew me to want to be in the band and i've always you know like since i i grew up and i'm and i'm multicultural and multi-racial i always kind of gravitated towards bands that where it wasn't your typical, you know, type of people playing metal music, like uh, Death Angel, um, you know, you guys, God forbid, and um, Sepultura when they came out, and and even El Nino, like when El Nino came out, I thought that was really awesome that they were integrating um, the the Latin music and their own cultural music with with metal and with rock, and I wanted to be a part of that, and. Um, yeah, I think it's an awesome thing, and I, I love when I see it, even to this day. Was um after you had uh, joined the band and did the tour, and then finally you were working on the next record. Were you integrated into the songwriting process? Yeah, that on that one, I I had tons of ideas, and I think I probably had so many. I I had probably like over a hundred riff ideas, and you know because. I never want to be the 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 person in the band that's you know like not pulling their weight, not pulling their weight exactly. So I always overcompensate, and um, and that's the same thing I did on the Burning Red. It's like I brought so many ideas to the table, and we ended up using a lot of them. And the same thing with uh with with um, what album was that? That was uh, oh, One Nation Underground. One Nation Underground. I brought tons of ideas. Like I had. I had so many ideas and I think there was this thing that it almost like they didn't want that many ideas from the new guy. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like a lot of them didn't get used. So we decided to write it all together. And so the first batch of ideas, like I don't think any of that got used. And then, so we started from scratch with everybody writing together and I still like contributed tons to that record. Well, that's cool. So I was still, like old school, kind of in a room, or you guys in front of a computer? How you how you doing it? Oh uh, yeah, old school in a room. That's sick. Yeah, yeah. I missed that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think there's something to be said for that still. And uh, in an ideal world, I mean, because I'm kind of like an introverted person, and and um, I'm not. Uh, so like in one of those writing situations where everybody's in a room. Um, I, I feel like sometimes when people are a little more vocal, they're going to get their ideas used, even if those ideas, you know, aren't as good. <laughs> so I, so that's why I kind of like, I, I enjoy writing by myself with my computer, but then I do feel that like putting it all together with a band is something that a band should do before they actually go in and record. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think there's, it's like a, in the same way where you can take something where you're working on it on a computer on a grid where you can kind of visualize the, the song structure and, and, and things like that there are just things that happen in the room with things like transitions and things like especially like very dynamic parts right the builds yeah. and and stuff where you're kind of really feeling the way people are playing in a in a in a in an environment that's very that's a lot more tough to kind of hammer out 
I, th I think in, in front of a computer, you have to kind of visualize things, things more. And it's just you, you chemistry, you know, just understanding yeah. like how the, how the, the people collectively play together and how you feed off, you know, like that was something with me and my brother where, I mean, I could probably sh show you, you know, four or five parts where he's playing something different than me. It's like, it's not directly a harmony. It's almost uh -huh. like these like counterpoint uh, yeah. guitar parts where we didn't like, we didn't sit down and discuss it. It just kind of just, he played this, I played that and it worked and that was it. And I, I didn't even know, I wouldn't even know what he's playing until after he left the band and I had to like transcribe it and go, what the hell was he yeah. doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just little things like that. Or I know sometimes with myself, I would get like excited by the energy and I'd literally write a riff in the room that maybe I wouldn't have written in front of a computer, you know, cause they just, the, yeah. the, the creative energy builds and you just get inspired by the vibe. Yeah. I feel that there's something, there's something to be said for both ways of doing it. And if sure. you can get the best of both worlds, then that would be a, that would be like an ideal situation. Yeah, no doubt. No, no doubt. So, you're in this whole new environment, which which must have been kind of a whirlwind because El Nino toured hard. Yeah, and uh, on confession, I think we also toured about 18 months, um, yeah. something like that. And yeah, we were touring a lot back then. And that was about the time on the next record, that's when we toured together for the first time and met, yeah. um, God forbid, and El Nino did a US tour uh, in 2006, I want to say like the spring, the summertime or something like that. And uh and then toured, what was it, 2009, actually, yeah, in Europe, shared a, shared mm -hmm. a tour bus together. Um, yeah. I mean, what what was your, what would you say was like, because like I so said, you did so many records, it would be, be tough to kind of talk about every everything and everything that was, that, that was going on, but you're, you're talking a good 10 years plus of your your life in in this band around these people and playing these songs and, and touring. I mean, how would you kind of sum up just that? experience in 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 general because you're that's you're a big part of what that band is or right was. on i appreciate that um it was it was a i guess being in that band made me appreciate being in machine head more mm, interesting <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because like it was night and day about like being organized and um just the way that uh people interacted with each other and the writing process and, um, you know, that's when I kind of realized, like, okay, situations are never perfect. You just kind of got to, you got kind of got to figure them out. And, um, and it was, it was, I would say it was, uh, sometimes it was great. Like the whole confession cycle, like it, that was great. That was a great time, great memories. Um, and then it kind of got to a point where, uh, there were things that I didn't like that were going on that, um, you know, it was like I could either try to push my way in more and, and, and maybe make, you know, make a change or I could just go along with it and, you know, just, you know, focus on other things in my life. And, uh, and it was kind of like a, some albums I was really gung ho about, like, let's fucking do this and let's make the baddest album we could make. And, um, and I'd be really into it. And then some albums I'd be just be like, all right, here's, here's a couple riffs, whatever. And yeah. it was, uh, 
Yeah, it was it was a like personality wise, there was a lot of um, it was very difficult. It was a difficult situation. It wasn't easy. Yeah, I mean, listen, bands are bands are tough, and yeah, one one thing I've kind of noticed as, as I've kind of gone into the my kind of second phase of my career is that once there is success to some degree and there is kind of money to be made and that almost those elements can, I want to say bring the worst out of people, but it can definitely become a lot more cold, right? It's, it becomes perhaps less about the relationships or less about um, the brotherhood and the family. And it's, and it gets more about the business becomes kind of uh, can, can take, precedent which to some degree makes sense um you know uh when you when there is a lot more to lose so to speak right yeah when you're when you're kind of uh financially dependent on on a, on a situation um and it was like this thing with like god forbid it's like we never made enough money for anyone to ever really get petty about money yeah <laughs> you know uh and so in a, in, a, in a weird way that kind of uh kept us closer if that makes sense yeah, um, totally, hundred percent. I can know, see that because it was it was less about that and more about this this kind of collective uh, si- situation. But you know, one thing I think we can we can both relate on is kind of ugly public breakups. Yeah, <laughs> you know, things kind of back and forths and lawsuits and all that stuff. And and I don't want to get into that uh, too much because the truth is, I'm I'm friends with everyone. On, on uh, both sides of this, and I and I love all the people, and I hate, you know, and it's tough doing this show because, you know, something might get if I bring this person on the show, then maybe this person might get mad if I bring this person, and and I'm and I try and just, um, you know, not make this a a, a place of like, you know, to to kind of air that air that stuff, you know, because I just really want to totally. hear about you telling your story. Uh, because we go way back and you know your story is incredible man that just have a have a career this long so we we can definitely relate on on that level (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but you know eventually obviously obviously things uh came to a head um and when all that stuff kind of wrapped up and were you you know because you have you have the new band uh lines at the gate with um Diego and Christian was that something you guys already had kind of formulating before that or was that something that was put together after El Nino thing had wrapped up I mean the, like at first we were we were battling for the name like we we uh Diego Christian and I wanted wanted to take the name mm. and um so that was that was originally what was going on and we and we were we were battling in like a court in New York, uh, in Texas, in in Los Angeles, and in Germany, all simultaneously. And sounds, sounds expensive. Yeah, it was it was very expensive, and we got to a point where our lawyer said you could easily sink a lot more money into this, and there's no guarantees that you're going to get what you wanted. And so then we decided to go for the you know we just kind of got together and got a cash buyout and said that they could keep the name basically. Yeah. Um, so that was our first thing. And then after that happened, we were kind of like, I mean, it was, I mean, I was, I was in the band for 17 years, 
Diego was in the band for 10 years and Christian was probably in the band for like 20 years. So yeah, it's a long, long time of being part of something to, to all of a sudden not be part of and know what you're going to do next. So we didn't, we, yeah, we didn't have any plans yet. Um, then Diego kind of was the one that got it all going and was Steven the uh, Stephen Brewer. Yep. Shout and, out Stephen. Yeah. Massacre. Yep. And uh, so he just called me up. Diego called me up one day. He's like, hey, we got a producer. Uh, we're going to make a record in two uh, in a month or two weeks. It was like a really short amount of time. And at the time, I wasn't even sure. Like, man, do I want to get involved in this again? <laughs> and uh, not only that, I had I had a like I had just a string of crazy things happened to me over the past like six years. So like I, I lost my, my dad and then my mom and then my stepmom. Wow. And then from that point I went right into, uh, you know, a divorce and then, and then the band, like, just like yeah. all, all in a, you know, six year string of, uh, six year period. So I was like, I wasn't sure about anything really like i didn't i didn't know what i wanted to do i was kind of like well then you put the pandemic <laughs> on that too right yeah <laughs> and then and then the pandemic on top of that like uh, the pandemic was nothing compared to all the other shit though yeah <laughs> so it was like uh um he yeah he called me up and and like part of me was like man i don't know if i'm ready to do anything like this yet like i haven't even figured anything out and like internally and i don't know what i want to do and then part of me just said, you know what, just, just try it out. And, you know, if you like it, cool. And if you don't like it, then it's, there's no pressure. Just, just give it a try. So, uh, I just went down there and, and in the beginning I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. And during the process, it was like such a night and day experience from, you know, anything that I was involved in creative wise and in the last band. And everything was just going so smoothly. And we were like banging songs out. And they were like songs that I felt were like stronger than anything that we, we had ever done in the past. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm really liking this. And so it was, we did the, we did the record in like two different 10 days, 10 day periods. So then I came back a month later for the rest, for the, for the next six songs. And at that point, I was all in. Like, I, I really loved it. I really loved the process. Um, and it was almost, I felt almost guilty by how easy we were, like, making music. <laughs> because I was so used to it being painful in the past. Yeah. And uh, everything just came out and, and everything just had this really great energy to it. And, and, uh, and the last song was a song that, that, uh, we have a, a female guest vocalist on um, that I can't mention who it is, but it was, it was like a, a really special thing she did for us. And I heard, I had heard the whole album except for the last song. And I, at that point I was like, man, I'm fucking super happy with this, this music and this album. And it doesn't even matter if this last song comes out good or not. I'm, you know, I'm, this is, this is my favorite album that I've probably ever done besides the burning red. And when I got the last song, like the mix of the last song, it's called Find My Way. And I literally like, 
burst into tears because it was so it spoke to exactly like everything that I had been going through for the past six years, all kind of culminated up to me uh, finding my way back to music again and finding my way back to back to my brothers and um, and the song just the lyric was just so perfect for the moment and the last song and everything and and then I played it like 20 more times in a row and every time I heard it I, I burst into tears again and it was just like uh, like it was like a catharsis mm-hmm. and it was just like even though I, I I mean it brought I don't know I feel like it brought me back to to really feeling that you know really feeling like I know what I'm doing again and knowing what I want and um, and that's music and that's something that you know has been a part of you and me and like all the all the all of our peers for all of our lives and it's su- such a strong and important thing and it is and it's such it's it's been such a strong important thing in my life and and i feel reconnected to it again and that's no matter what happens just just that is is you know gold for me yeah i mean and one thing i can kind of connect to on that is when you're put in a situation where you have to kind of fight for your musical life for your career like Mm -hmm. you know whether that's a legal battle or kind of an emotional struggle of like having the kind of strength of will to just exist and like and go hey i don't know how this is going to turn out but i have to have some kind of faith in myself that i can pull this off and then you actually get to a point of accomplishment yeah it gets emotional and you go yeah holy shit because because that's the one thing no matter how it turns out right because none of us are um kind of um owed any success or that yeah we, we can make something that we like but there's no guarantee that anyone else will like it that people will buy it or stream it or whatever come to our shows we, we don't really know but the the record itself is something no one could ever take away from you right that's exactly that will exist even if you're the only one that appreciates it it's something you go it is kind of some proof of your efforts you know a hundred percent and yeah it's like um the the band that we have now everybody gets along and it's it's like uh it's a really like i've never felt this kind of brotherhood or closeness with with um with a band before and just that and the fact that we're able to to make music that i feel is like better than anything we've ever done and um that we're going to get a chance to go out there and play for people and you know hopefully they like it and and all of that is is just something that i'm extremely grateful for and uh just just that part of it is winning for me so anything else is uh icing on the cake what um because you know christian sent me the record a while back i mean months and months and months ago and i, I, I mm-hmm. thought it was great he was he was asking me for awesome. like f- feedback and i thought it was i thought it was great um and it, you kind of announced the band a while back what yeah. is this the state of like when a record's coming out when the band's going to play live is there a plan for that or are you guys still figuring it out um we're fi- we're figuring out some of it we have uh uh shelter jonathan king at shelters our manager and we have like a roadmap of what we're doing we still haven't signed with a label yet but we're releasing uh, a video um probably in a month 
Mm-hmm. And then after, then another one right after that. And we are playing, we're going to be playing our first show at the whiskey. And Ooh, I, I was, t- uh, it's going to be a, wait, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> is it, is this, is this ready for prime time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, I'm, I'm allowed to talk about this. Okay. So let me just, let me just confirm the date. Hope, hopefully I don't lose you. We're here. We're waiting by. All right. Here we go. Let me get back on Zoom now. <laughs> 428 at the Whiskey. For April 28th, right on. April 28th. And it's not a show. I'm told that it's a premiere. It's the Lions at the Gate premiere event. Oh, it's a premiere <laughs> event. Very so exciting. It, so it could sound fancy. No, um, that's, that's great, man. It's uh, I'm sure that'll be just a, a very cool celebration of all this kind of culmination of all this, all this work. And hopefully I'm, if I'm not on tour, then, you know, I'll, you know, I'll be there to support. Oh man. We would love, we would love it if you were there. Sure. That'd be great. That'd be great. Well, listen, man, uh, this is really exciting. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for all you guys. Um, like I said, Thank I, you I, think, so much. I think the record's really cool. I think awesome. it came out great. I love the, the hooks, man. The melodies, the vocal melodies are really solid. Um, and that's, that's like the thing, you know, I, I like it. And I think it's kind of cool to some degree that because it's not El Nino, mm-hmm. it gives the band a little more ability to do things outside of the box that maybe it's like, oh, well, we need a, a Latin part here or we need this percussion. You know what I'm saying? Like it gives you guys yes. more room to operate if you want to do different things. Uh-huh. That was one of the goals that we set was like, you know, it's like a band can come out and if their first record is like only between here and there, then the whole career that's like, it's hard, you know, they could only go that way. But if we start here, then it gives us a lot of room to like do all kinds of different things. So we have like really heavy stuff and really soft stuff and it's a wide variety like you guys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Hopefully, And I love your new record as well. Thank you so much, man. I, I, I appreciate sure. it. I really do appreciate it. But uh, yeah. So if you guys are in L.A., on April 20th, come see the show. And they have a couple of songs out streaming, some videos out, some very, very good songs. I think I'm going to play a song, Scapegoat. I really like awesome. that song. Right on. Play, play that on here. But brother, you you have a great day. Thank you so much for being on the show. You you are part of the X-Men alumni now. Welcome. Awesome, man. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. It was a pleasure. And it's and it's awesome to see you, man. I, we, I I saw you the other night, but I guess I was a little fucked up. <laughs> what do you mean you saw Back, me the other night? Backstage at the uh, the wedding band. Oh, dude, that. Oh yeah, that, dude. That's like <laughs> you said the other <laughs> night. Like it was like literally like last week, but that was like what six weeks ago now. Or yeah, it was like six weeks. I don't yes, know. <laughs> we did. We did get to see each other very briefly. It was that was yeah. uh, a whirlwind <laughs> of a night. <laughs> what was it like? Uh, yeah. Three in the morning when we saw each other. Yeah, it was like yeah, I was I I was up at seven that morning, so I was just out of it. But uh, yeah, it was it was great to see you play on stage with that with the wedding band. Um, I really uh, I was I you know I loved Metallica in the beginning, but then when they kind of started getting a little softer, and I started getting into more heavier stuff, I kind of got like that cool kid thing, like oh Metallica. But uh, seeing this um, the 40th anniversary brought me back to being a fan, like you know, remembered how much I loved them as a kid. And, and, um, now they're back to on top as one of my favorite bands again. 
<laughs> Talc is always number one for me. Yeah. That's right. Awesome. That's right. Well, brother, have a have a great day. Yes, it was great seeing you the other day, six weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope to see you soon. We'll be out. Bad Wolves will be playing Denver, the Fillmore with Papa Roach. So maybe I'll see you out there. Hell yeah, I'll be there for sure. All right, brother. You take care, all right? All right, you too. Cheers. Talk to you later. Bye. You just heard Scapegoat, new song from Lions at the Gate. I have to apologize. I, I called them Lions at the Gates <laughs> in my intro. I'm like, what the, what the hell?
I always end up recording these really late, and the, the brain is, you know, it goes a couple ways. Could, could be doing better. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I fucking love the hook on that song, especially like in that, it's kind of like that post-chorus, I don't know, the middle eight. I don't know if that's that's the way, way to call it. I, I really love loved the melody on that song. And uh, yeah, and I've heard the whole album. It's really, really good. As I, as I said, huge thanks to Aru for being on the show. He was awesome, man. I loved how he really opened up, you know, uh, near the end about some of the stuff he was going through. And it's, it makes sense, man. This, uh, this business is, is tough to keep in it when you've, you know, you have situations that are working and then things aren't working and you, you, you know, and that's what the X-Men is all about is finding these times you're going, what the hell should I do with my life? <laughs> is this the right path? Should I just go and do some normal shit because <laughs> this is definitely not normal shit you know leaving for months on end and having to balance multiple uh things and and it's uh i don't know i certainly don't have it figured out but it, it is a, it is a lifestyle that attracts people who who can kind of manage some chaos so Shout out to Aru for for making it through the other side despite going through a lot of a lot of a lot of difficult life hardships, you know. So, but anyway, that was that was a lot of fun. So, and the record, I don't. There's no release date, so there's two songs available now. Just go check it out. It's streaming. Got some music videos. There's a remix, and uh, and yeah, so definitely support them. Check them out, especially when they're playing the whiskey coming up in April. So something I, I probably should have mentioned this in the uh, in the intro, either this week or, or last week. You know, I have to, you know, uh, speak about an, a person who was on the X Men uh, who passed away. Um, we lost uh, John Zazula, the founder of Megaforce Records, a, a true legend in this scene, and uh, just have to give my condolences to his family, um, Ricky. His daughter, who's who's a really wonderful person, Maria Ferraro, a uh, friend of the show, um, yeah, just a, a really great guy, and uh, it was it was a real. I mean, if you listen to that show, you can tell how much it was an honor for me to to have him because of the impact he's had on 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 my life indirectly, and uh, and the scene as a whole. So just got uh, got to show him some love and 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 pay our respects because he he deserves it. And I always said, you know. One of my biggest regrets was not having my mother on the show before before she passed away. So, you know, it's a uh, it's just a blessing that you got to tell these stories and tell your story, uh, whatever that is, before you're gone because maybe people won't get to hear it. And so, luckily, John wrote a book, and I say, Joe, if you want to hear a story, definitely go go check his book out uh, if you can. So that's that's pretty much it for me. Uh, Bad Wolves. We just announced another festival. Uh, Lunatic Luau in Virginia Beach. I forget the date off the top of my head. It's in May. We're going to do it the same weekend as Welcome to Rockville. Disturbed is playing. Um, who else is playing? Dirty Honey, Living Color. It's pretty badass. So should be pretty damn exciting. Um, and I'm sure we'll be announcing more things as it comes. But our, our tour leaves. What day is it? About three weeks. Damn. I need to get on. I need it. <laughs> I'm getting nervous out here, but I get my shit together. But yeah, the tour is leaving soon, and uh, we, we're actually shooting a new music video next week. So about to get busy. This is the the calm before the storm. So 
I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get some sleep. But uh, love you guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Mamba's out. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there.